Well, it's quite good to get to be back home and get to be with all of you again on the Lord's Day. Um, it always feels odd to, to be away from here um, whenever we take a trip, as my family got to do uh, the past week or the week prior. Um, as nice as the trip was, and it was a really good time to get to see mom and dad and get to be um, in the Ozarks, where if they didn't have Wi-Fi, there'd be absolutely no connection to just about anything except for perhaps the bass on the other line. Uh, regrettably, it's March turned April. It was a bit cold for all of that, and the water was a bit low, but it was beautiful to get to be there, to get to see Mom and dad and even my brother and sister-in-law and uh, nephews and niece um, and some of the folks that they, they worship with there near Kansas City um, and in Missouri. It was good to get to go there and be there that, uh, for that time. Um, I want to say thank you to Wendell, who taught class um, in my stead. He and I often fill in for each other whenever the other is traveling, and I always know I can call on him and he'll be ready to go no matter what. Um, and I want to say thank you also to Tom, who was going to speak on Sunday morning before the opportunity presented itself to have Josh Welch and his family uh, here on Sunday. Um, I'm glad that the timing worked out such as it did, that Josh got to be here, he and his family, um, and he got to spend his last Sunday preaching in the Columbus area um, here amongst all of you. Uh, very thankful that uh, he was able to be encouraged and loved on by this uh, group of Christians. I understand we had quite a few visitors. hate that I missed that. Um, I understand it was a full house. Good thing the tape was gone because it would have had to go anyway. Um, and by the way, how nice is that to have that gone and to be able to, to move around a little bit? Um, but I'll just say I, 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 I knew not to offer any kind of false praise, but I had no doubt in my mind the kind of love and support and warmth that this congregation would offer him, because it's what you've offered me and my family ever since we moved here a few years back, what you offered everyone. Um, it's, just, it's just who you are, because that's who Christ has helped you to be. Um, very thankful that, that he got to enjoy it. He and his wife helped me. Remind, someone that knows her name, remind me of it. I can't remember right now. Jonah, thank you. Thank, Jonah, right? Jonna, okay. Uh, and then their, their kids. Um, just very glad that they got to spend the, the Lord's Day with all of you. Um, and you all doing for them what, what brethren in Christ ought to do. Um, I did also want to ask, since that new hearing system is in fact new, how's it working for those of you that are on it? Thumbs up if it's going the assisted hearing system. Good to go. No static, no issues. If there's anything, let me know. Um, and then also, we are working on an updated directory. Uh, it's four pages in length. I've got two pages that have entries left to be checked. If you will, please, before you leave here this morning, um, look on those two pages if you haven't yet. And if everything is fine, there's some little pencils around, please just put a check mark there. If there's a mistake, put an X on it and text me or talk to me or call me and let me know what needs to be amended. If you're able to write it down, I know some of you have done that um, by your entry, then by all means, go ahead and do that, too. But if I can get that covered, I can get those things printed out and we can have them um, even Wednesday or this coming Sunday, perhaps. And we'll get that, that new updated directory to you. But now 
Let's go ahead and begin our our sermon for this morning. In the book of Zechariah, in chapter 13 and the first verse, the prophet Zechariah is looking forward to the time when Christ is going to come. He's looking forward to the time when salvation will be offered. He's looking forward to the day when the kingdom of God will appear. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 13, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There shall be a fountain opened to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. The fountain that is being described there is ultimately not a a, a normal fountain at all. Of course it's not, but it's unusual because it doesn't turn out to be a a fountain of water, as it's sometimes pictured, so much as a fountain of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the fountain that flows from the cross of Calvary when Jesus gives his life and sheds his blood for our sins. And I want to talk with you about the blood of Jesus for our lesson this morning for just a few minutes. That may sound like something of an odd topic, the blood of Jesus. Um, But I want to suggest to you that every encouraging thing we might draw from Scripture, every positive thing, every uplifting thing, every hope that we might have, they're all ultimately based on the fact that Jesus shed His blood For our sins. Because unless we're forgiven of our sins, unless we have the hope of deliverance from those sins, unless we've been cleansed of them, you and I really don't have any hope at all, be it in this life or the next. So, what I'd like for us to do this morning is to suggest four things that I think make the blood of Jesus most important to us, or at least show that it ought to be important to us, if perhaps it's not. And the first thing that I would like to suggest, I'm not going to have to go far afield, this one you probably expect, is that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ and only through the blood of Jesus that we have the forgiveness of our sins. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul is talking there about the blessings that you and I enjoy in Christ. In verse 3, He has said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then a little further down in verse 7, he begins to list those spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. And he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. David in the Psalms talks about how blessed is the man who has his sins forgiven. To be able to know that we have been cleansed of sin, forgiven of the evil we've done. He says it's a blessed thing. It's a blessed hope. Paul says we have that redemption and that forgiveness. We have that hope through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9 and verse 22, the writer there says, Indeed, under the law, under the old law, and the Old Testament covenant, the covenant of Moses, almost everything is purified with blood. 
And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So in the Old Testament, in the laws that were designed to point towards the cross of Christ and his sacrifice, ultimately, the children of Israel were taught other sacrifices to offer those, oftentimes bloody animal sacrifices for their sins. And he says here, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The law of Moses had taught them that. Now, it may seem somewhat um, dramatic, perhaps repellent, perhaps just unnecessary. But if Jesus hadn't shed his blood, and if we don't appreciate that, not one of us would have a single hope of being forgiven of our sins. Shedding of Christ's blood. It's not a pleasant topic, familiar though it may be. Shedding of his blood. I think sometimes we can hear that, and if we're not really, not just paying attention, but really trying to engage our mind's eye, as the phrase goes, you can hear about his, his body being nailed to the cross and shedding of his blood and hear it in a very um, um, kind of sterilized way, and not appreciate the gruesome detail that's involved in that statement of the shedding, the literal shedding of his blood, as our Lord bled out. On the cross. In Matthew 26, on the night before he would shed his blood, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper in that last supper with his disciples, and he passes the cup around to them and he says, This is my blood of the covenant. This is to symbolize that for you, remind you of that from this point on. The blood of the covenant, which he says is poured out. For many, for the forgiveness of sins. Indeed, it would be um, in a few hours. He says, the reason I'm going to be shedding my blood, the reason for that is that people might be forgiven of their sins. So the first point, very simply, is that the blood of Jesus is necessary for for you and I to have our sins washed away. And, And that's all of them. Whether it be the sins that we might consider as, you know, I understand it was wrong, but, but not quite so bad as some of the other things we might choose to do. Or the, the darkest of moments you may have known in your life. The, the, the most heinous, as we might measure them, of sins you've ever committed. Perhaps the most uh, fraught with consequence, earthly consequence, I should say. The most destructive actions, perhaps, you've taken. You think of some of the atrocities that we've seen in the news just in the last few weeks. To understand that the blood of Jesus can forgive even those kinds of sins should those sinners repent of them and seek forgiveness in Jesus. It's got that kind of power to wipe those sins from the record and make you pure before God once again. To cause you to stand pure before the holy, righteous, almighty creator of all. It's a familiar thing, but it is no small thing. And you and I get to have hope of standing before God Almighty worthy because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to us, not just because of us. You and I wouldn't have that opportunity. We wouldn't have the forgiveness of sins before God if it weren't for Jesus shedding his blood. The second reason why the blood of Christ is, or at least ought to be important to us, is that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have the cleansing of our conscience. Now this is closely related to the matter of being forgiven of our sins. You might call it kind of the other side of the coin. 
um, in Hebrews 9, verse 14. The Bible talks there about how the, the blood of animal sacrifices cleansed the flesh according to, to their laws then. But then he says in verse 14 that inasmuch as those sacrifices were always designed to point towards the greater sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So how much more than the blood of bulls and goats will the blood of Christ not only cleanse us of our sins, but cleanse our consciences before him as well. Now those terms are used somewhat interchangeably, but I also want to talk about this idea of cleansing your conscience as, as you're aware of it. So as I said, that's kind of the, it's, it's, it's simply the other side of having your sins forgiven. Just as important. You know what it is to have a guilty conscience, I suspect. To know that you've sinned, to feel the burden of that. You think of all the different ways in which you can not behave in a Christ-like way. All the different, again, what we might classify as minor things or major things, but still sins before God. That can build and build and build and weigh on you. And not only make you more impure in the sight of the Lord, but also weigh on you internally, mentally, and and pull you down. And take you further and further away from that hope, the burden that you feel because of the sin that stands before you and God. You know perhaps the feeling of, of anger with yourself. Hurt even with yourself. Perhaps you know the feeling of wanting to, to seek opportunities to blame others. To try to avoid thinking about the blame that, 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 that lays at your feet. But not really having anyone to blame but yourself. Maybe you know that feeling. And the frustration that comes with it. And how nothing is right with you. Until you pray to God. Plead his forgiveness based on the sacrifice of Christ. And have not only that sin but that weight of guilt lifted off of you. When that's inside of you, it just feeds on you. It can tear you down. It can make you um, not only just less and less righteous, but worse and worse of a person in regards to others. How often have you mistreated someone that you love because of the, 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 um, the, the upset within you, because of the, the way that you were... I'm losing the word that I want. Um, I don't think it's going to come to me. When you're not right with God, you're not right. And how many times have you mistreated somebody else around you, maybe snapped at them and taken the internal stress and guilt that you're feeling out on them because there was sin lying on your heart? Jesus provides a way not just to have that sin washed away, but to have your conscience cleansed as well. He removes the guilt and in a sense, even the memory as well. I want to suggest a a practical example of this cleansing of conscience. I want you to think of the case of the Apostle Peter in the New Testament. Think about when he betrays Jesus. This is someone who spent three years of his life with somebody he had come to love and to love dearly. Someone he understood was Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And yet when Jesus is on trial, and when Peter is asked if he's truly one of Jesus' disciples... If he actually follows the man who caused him to walk on water for fear, 
He not once but three times and not gently and fearfully, but angrily and with an oath denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And we're told in the Gospel of Luke that right after he makes that third denial and the rooster crows, Jesus turns and looks at him. And Peter runs away and weeps bitterly. You can imagine that kind of a moment when you've denied the one that you know is the Son of God and he told you you were going to do it and you said, absolutely, Lord, I will not do it. And then you did it. And then he looked you in the eye after you did it. How would you feel? So perhaps you could understand how that could have been something that ultimately destroyed Peter. Wrecked him for an ability to serve the Lord and just ultimately meant the end for him. Same as the failure did for Judas, right? Judas's sin and guilt overcomes him. He does not conquer it. He goes out and takes his own life. Ruins him as a disciple for the Lord. It could have been the end for Peter as well. Jesus comes to him later and asks him for those three confessions of love and faith. So that Peter can move on from his betrayal of the Lord. Peter was able to move on past that failure because in that conversation with his God, his teacher, his friend, he found forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, he found the cleansing of his conscience as well. A cleansing and a lifting of that burden that enabled him to do as Paul would say and forget what lays behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. One of my professors, I wish I could remember who it was and give him credit for it. Um, He used to use the analogy of, of a new car and how when you get that new car, you're usually really careful with it. Um... I'm going to have to take his word for it. Never had a new car. Uh, usually they're, they're half as old as I am. Um, but if you've ever had that new car, then I, I imagine you're with it the way I might be like with a new computer. Any little ding or dent, any little chip in the paint physically hurts. And with that car, maybe you try to get it fixed away or fixed right away. Um, you're, you know, you get the, the subscription to the car wash place and you make sure it's the touchless one. You take it in there often. Uh, perhaps also you discard any human decency and forbid your friends to bring drinks or food into the car. And you tell them if they keep whining about it, you're going to get the box of disposable shoe covers from the trunk and they can wear those too. But then as time goes on, it gets a dent in it that you don't take care of for whatever reason. Every time you see that dent for a little while, it bothers you. But then, you know, it gets a couple of other dents and they just eventually kind of just mingle together and they, they fade into the background. And after a while, there's just so many dents and scratches. If you got a new one, you wouldn't even really notice. I want you to think about those dents like having a guilty conscience. When you and I were forgiven of our sins, when we knew that we weren't guilty of anything before God. How was that feeling? If it's been too long and maybe you don't remember, we've got a young Christian with us this morning. You can ask him how that felt this week. It's a confident feeling. That feeling of assurance that everything is as it should be in the most important ways. But if you start letting those dents accumulate in your life where things are not forgiven, it becomes like the car that you let stay dented. 
After a while, it gets a few more dents. And finally, it comes to the point that with all the dents you've collected, you barely notice when it gets a few more. Of course, with the car, you can just replace it with a new one before very long. But you can't do that spiritually. Our consciences can become so weakened and so accustomed to to just accepting blemishes. Again, with the car, you can always say, I'm going to get rid of that someday. But you've only got the one soul. So you and I don't have the option to just throw it away and get a new one. What we need is something that can make the old one new. Something that can remove all of those dents and give you an entirely new, fresh start with the soul that you have. And that's exactly what the blood of Christ can do. Imagine if you've got one of those cars that's all dinged up and battered and you see this product that's advertised and it says it can take away all those scratches and all those dents. You've seen those products advertised before. They don't work very well. Imagine if one did. How much that would be sought after. Everybody making their car like a brand new car because of this product. Everybody would want it. They'd line up for it. They'd, they'd, they'd run out at the stores. Everybody would want that for their car. Here lies such an opportunity for your soul. Worth more than, than all the cars in the world, than all the world has to offer. Here lies such an opportunity to take all of those dings and dents and scratches and the effects of the years, the, 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 year, or the, the toll that the years have taken on your soul and to make it new and to cleanse your conscience and to give you, as the phrase goes, a clean slate legitimately before the Lord. Will we line up for such a product as that? Kind of shifting gears, I want to suggest also that the blood of Christ, through the blood of Christ, it is through that blood that God purchased the church. Um, When Paul was talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus about their responsibilities to the church, about the value of the church, Christians, he said to them in Acts 20 and verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's the blood of Jesus that makes the church possible that brought it into existence, that adds us to his body. And if Jesus hadn't shed his blood, there'd be no church. And understand what that means. There'd be none of this. There'd be none of the assembly. There'd be none of the coming together with that understanding or that awareness of a bond that makes us closer than physical family. Maybe you have some members of your family who are not Christians. Maybe they're even exceedingly not Christians. They're very worldly people. You ever notice how much closer you feel to a Christian you may have just met that day than that family member? I've got aunts and uncles, and when they were alive, grandparents on my dad's side, um, that were so immoral, it was difficult to be around them. I didn't want to follow them on social media. I didn't want to see their stuff. Talking to them was just painful because it was always about something worldly and and, and they didn't value what is most important in this life. How can I be as close to them as I might be to someone else that I barely know, but who I know knows the Lord and loves him above all else? Um, 
I don't want to embarrass you, but Sonia, you and I have met about two or three times, I think. Um, sister in Christ. My granny Jer, who I've known since I was a child. She's just a sinful woman. And I feel a much stronger bond to a sister in Christ that I've met three times than I do to my granny Jer that I've known all my life. It's encouraging to be in the presence of someone I've met three times versus my granny Jer that I've known all my life. Because one values the shedding of Jesus' blood and the other doesn't. Multiply that by every Christian that you get to spend blessed opportunities of study and worship with. And perhaps that helps us appreciate the value of Christ's blood all the more. The encouragement that you got to give our brother and sister and their family on Sunday because of the blood of Christ. All those wonderful blessings. The, 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 the great opportunity that I had to go on vacation, but, but all the while missing being back here because of the blood of Christ. And because of what that sacrifice has done to all of us. There'd be no singing praises, there'd be no worship, there'd be no helping one another see the king. If the king hadn't shed his blood. So when you and I get to come together and worship. Let's remember what it is that that makes our presence together and before God possible. As, as Brian talked about with the Lord's Supper. Not take it for granted. Not get, get used to it and just let it pass us by as if it's an ordinary thing that we just, you know, we do this every week. It's because Jesus gave his blood on the cross. And then finally, and I do appreciate your attention this morning, the, the fourth reason, the final reason I'd suggest as to why the blood of Jesus ought to be important to us is because it's through his blood that we can be saved from the wrath and judgment to come. Serious subjects, these things. In the book of Romans, in the fifth chapter in verse 8, Paul talks about how God showed his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then he says, since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now you start talking about being saved from the wrath of God. You talk about eternal life and eternal death. You talk about heaven and hell. You talk about eternal salvation, but also eternal damnation. And some of those things, at least half of that discussion, is language that for many people is perhaps foreign or perhaps just deliberately kind of pushed to the side. You know, i got all I can handle just to worry about the things in this life. I don't need to start thinking about all of that. But this idea that the Bible presents of eternity with God or eternal suffering and torment, which is absolutely what the Bible presents, is foreign sometimes to folks. Now, the more you think about this world as God's creation, the more you recognize the injustices, all of the pain and grief that comes to this world, even to those who are children of God, the more it just doesn't make sense to think that somehow... All of our salvation and all of our focus should be on this, on now. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible tells us is about the greatest mistake you can make. Trying to lay up treasures here on earth as opposed to laying them up in heaven. Paul in Romans chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 talks about the blessings that are there for those who serve the Lord. But then he says for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath. And fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. 
And all throughout the New Testament, you've got warnings of this judgment that's impending. Uh, Jesus himself talks about those who reject him, that it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment than for, for the land of, of Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. So I suggest these four things to think about as to why the blood of Jesus is important. The forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of conscience, the fact that it's through his blood that he purchased the church and that it's through his blood that we can be saved from the wrath to come. If all these things are dependent upon the blood of Jesus, then the next question really ought to be before that ought to be before us is where do I find the blood of Jesus? How do I come into contact with it? How can I receive forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of my conscience? How can I be saved from the wrath to come and become a member of the body of Christ that he purchased with his own blood? And that really is the main point of this lesson. How do I find the blood of Christ? Um, There's no little vial that every church has where they can say, here's the blood. Here it is. And they can touch you with a little bit of it and it worked that way. How do you find the blood of Christ by which you can have the forgiveness of your sins? I would call your attention to more of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. Back in Matthew 26 and verse 28, as Jesus passes the cup to his disciples, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. This is, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus points to the fruit of the vine. He says, this is a symbol of my blood, blood, which is for the forgiveness of sin. But whose sins does it forgive? Not everybody's. If that were the case, then the message of the apostles and we after them would be everybody's sins have been forgiven. Jesus died on the cross. It's all taken care of. But that's not the case. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching what we sometimes call the first gospel sermon, just a few days, really, after Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, after his resurrection, he told his disciples that the time has now come to go, therefore, and preach and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, preaching the gospel in the city of Jerusalem, To some of the very people who had crucified Jesus. In verse 38 when they have asked him. What what can we possibly do? He said to them repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As he tells them there are two things they needed to do. You've got this people who've been shown the truth of their actions, that the Jesus they crucified was the Messiah, God's son. They're convinced of that now, convicted of it. And Peter says there are two things you need to do. He says you need to repent of your sins. And you need to be baptized into him. And notice what for. For the forgiveness of your sins. To have them washed away. It's exactly the same phrase Jesus used about 50 days earlier on the night of the Lord's Supper when he said, this is my blood which has been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And now that he shed his blood, his disciples could say, if you'll repent and be baptized, you'll receive that forgiveness of your sins. 
Later on, when Paul's describing his conversion in the book of Acts in chapter 22, he talks about how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, told him to go into Damascus, said there'll be somebody named Ananias who will come and tell you what to do, the next thing to do. And he talks about what Ananias said to him and how Ananias had said in verse 16 of Acts 22, and now why do you wait? Why tarry any longer? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And Paul, of course, does that. He's told to be baptized and to wash away his sins. You start putting these passages together, and what you see consistently throughout the New Testament is that people who believe in Jesus Christ are told to repent of their sins and be baptized in order to receive the forgiveness of their sins, to have those sins washed away, to have their consciences cleaned. You look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 13 talks about some of what we mentioned earlier. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of those animals sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then in chapter 10, verse 22, He says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's through the blood that Jesus shed that you and I can have the cleansing of conscience. But you notice that cleansing of conscience and cleansing of the heart is something that accompanies having their bodies washed with pure water. And so Paul had said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, when Peter's making that comparison between what happened or what has happened because Christ came and what happened in the days of Noah with the eight people who'd been saved from the judgment that God had brought on the world at that time, that judgment that that resulted ultimately in the destruction of, of all the sinful humanity that had rejected God, he talks about how they were brought safely through that destruction through water. And then he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And he makes it pretty clear, not as removal of dirt from the body. It's not anything to do with the water, really. It's the fact that that's how you make your appeal to God for a good conscience. When you and I obey the gospel, when someone is baptized, they're asking for God to cleanse them of their sins, cleanse their conscience. And all of that comes as a result of knowing that their sins have been forgiven. All the dents have been taken out. So where do you find the blood of Christ? Back in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel would kill the Passover lamb, uh, as they did right before their exodus from Egypt, they were told to take that blood and put it on the doorposts of their house. It wasn't just the blood of the lamb that it had been shed. Somehow it had to be applied in order for it to have effect. You couldn't just go out there and kill a lamb and job done. You had to spread that blood on the lentils of the, or the doorposts. Exactly the same thing is true with the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. It's got to somehow be applied. Now, God, being God, could have appointed just about any way in which he desired to have that blood be applied. But it seems to me, from a consideration of those passages that we looked at, and others that we didn't, that the means by which God has appointed for the application of Jesus' blood to our lives is that we would be baptized. 
and receive the forgiveness for our sins, the sins for which he shed his blood. Could have chosen anything, but that's what he chose. So that's what we teach. That's what we call you this morning to do. It may be that there's someone here this morning who wishes to obey the gospel. And maybe you would like to take the opportunity now to have your conscience cleansed, your sins forgiven, to become a member of the body of Christ and to have that hope of eternal life and know that the wrath and the judgment to come is something you will be saved from because of Jesus and his blood. And if that's the case, then we want to extend an invitation to you to come forward as in a moment we stand and sing and make that desire known. If you would like, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. If you come to the front, I will gladly sit down with you and talk for, you a, few, for a few minutes about your desire to become a Christian. If that's something, And then we can, can baptize you into Christ this morning if you're ready to do so. If that's something you'd like to study a little bit more about, there are many people here, myself included, but not myself only, who would love to study with you about serving God and what you must do to, to have your sins forgiven. And if that's something that you would like, by all means, please let us know after the service before you, before you leave here. Whatever needs you have, I hope you value the blood that's been shed for you. I hope you appreciate the blood of Christ. I hope you come to love the fact that he has been sacrificed for you. Love him for doing that. And make absolutely certain that you avail yourself of that opportunity and not discard the blood of Christ that's been shed for you. You've got an opportunity to be made new this morning. I hope you'll seize it. If we can help you do that, won't you please let us know while we stand and sing.